A few episodes ago, we had the opportunity to talk with Meryl Dubrow, who had 35 years of experience mostly on the supplier side. Now we'll have the opportunity to talk with someone who has 35 years of experience on the client side, specifically at General Mills. We'll hear about the importance of origin stories in talking to consumers. We'll hear about her top experiences, including working with Nature Valley granola bars in the 1990s. And we'll finish up by talking about how companies can focus less on the specific projects and more on the future of where the consumer is going. This is Digging for Insights, the marketing research podcast for insights professionals and businesses looking to deeply understand their customers so they can grow. I'm Stephen Griffiths, a Fortune 500 corporate researcher. Join me as we talk with experts about inspiring case studies, career advice, and research methods that will lead to growth. My guest today is Vivian Martin, who retired from General Mills in 2014 as the Vice President of Consumer Insights International at General Mills. Since then, she now teaches at the University of Minnesota, teaches marketing to undergraduates there, and in this interview has the opportunity to share a number of her experiences. Vivian, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you here. I wanted to start off by talking a bit about origin stories. What are they and why are they important for marketing? Well, I think a way to look at origin is that it really lets a consumer know that a brand's authentic. And, uh, and so it's very clear that trust has become a huge component. I'm not going to buy you just because you have the ingredients I want. I need to trust you. I need to know who you are, what your motives are, and that you're acting as a good person in the world. Um, I think that this will just be driven to more extremes. Uh, as as consumers react to uh, to COVID nineteen, so my favorite origin story is Boom Chicka Pop. Interesting. I love this brand. Uh, imagine Mankato, Minnesota, two thousand and one. Dan and Angie start making popcorn in their garage. Okay, in twenty seventeen, Conagra purchased this business for two hundred and fifty million dollars. Wow. Okay, what happened here? I would say, go take a look at a package of Boom Chicka Pop, or let me just read from the website, our story. Back when Dan and I first started popping popcorn in our Mankato, Minnesota garage, we wanted to teach our kids the value of hard work and have a little fun. We also wanted a snack we felt good about, hugely flavorful snacks packed with positivity, not guilt. Snacks that keep the joy in everyday snacking and snacking and snacking with bright bags that radiate all the love and fun that went into them from the beginning. After all, isn't that what snacking should be about? We couldn't agree more. Enjoy. Love, Angie. Now, that's an origin story. Uh, That means I know who this comes from. I know their intent. I know they're real people. And I think this just might be an authentic brand. Not every brand can do that. Lots of brands are big brands. And in fact, another of my favorites recently is uh, is bubbly. Uh, I would have bet money that another flavored carbonated water would fail. The category was crowded. But in, uh, in 2018, PepsiCo introduced bubbly as a fun, playful line of waters. And in just a year, they captured $170 million in sales. The product is not that differentiated. You know, I would encourage you go out, try some, try it relative to LaCroix. 
Then look at the package. Look at the cans with their fun smiles, the bubbles, the mustaches, the personality, the irreverent little sayings. This is about being a fun, irreverent, joyous product. And it comes across as being unique and genuine. I think if you show up as a unique and genuine offering, your consumers might just see you that way. So personality is more important than ever. And it's important to come across as a real, real person. Wow, that totally makes sense. You know, I think a lot of people look at small growing brands like like Boom Chicka Pop and think, wow, you know, I wish I could do that. And I think everyone wants that kind of origin story. But I think your call out about uh, Bubbly from uh, PepsiCo is super interesting, right? So this is a big company, not an origin story that you can say you made this in your backyard, right? And yet they're still able to have a lot of success. What do you think Bubbly was actually able to do with their packaging that, that made it so successful? You've alluded to this, but I'm curious to hear more. I think they're about fun and joy. And I think maybe we don't really have enough fun and joy in our lives. And so they are just hit right up against it. You know, it's bubbly, it's joyous, it's uh, every, every package is an individual package, although the bubbles all fit together. Uh, they have cute little sayings that are like advice for you. And it is simple, fun, joy. That is all it is. And, uh, and sometimes maybe we, we overcomplicate things. Oh, I think that's very true. You know, I love this idea that you've come up with. It sounds like, you know, if you are a smaller company, definitely talk about your origin story, allow people to connect with you a little more personally, right, than you would otherwise. If you're a big brand, you know, maybe personalization is one element of that. You know, I remember Coke, you know, and I think they still do this, right? A lot of their different cans have like names on the cans. And so you can sort of buy this thing, oh, that's my name or that's my friend's name. And I'm going to buy a can of Coke with that. So they're not changing the product, but they're making it a little more personal is a little more interesting, relatable um, to their lives. And I wonder if sort of personalization is maybe one way that companies can uh, have a greater uh, connection with consumers, even if they are big. I think they can. And I think the, the question I've always asked about a brand is, if this brand were a person and walked in the room, who would the brand be? If you can't answer that question, I don't think you've really defined your brand because a brand is not a list of cerebral attributes. A brand is uh, an image, a person. And so the question I would ask any brand group, do you really know who your brand is? Uh, because if you don't, I guarantee consumers won't. And you'll just look like you're a corporation. Yeah. So speaking of corporations, you know, you've had a long storied career in consumer insights. I'd love to hear what some of your top experiences were from your career and what sort of lessons you learned from those. Okay. Well, I started at General Mills in 1979 and became a director um, in, I think, 1990. For my second director job, I was moved into the newly created snacks division. And for those at General Mills who don't know it, uh, General Mills had had a number of snacks businesses that had just grown up in uh, Nature Valley. Granola bars grew up in the cereal division. Um, so they, they had really come all over the, the, the company. The problem was they were all in trouble. They were all losing money. And so they decided we need a division because maybe snacks need to be managed differently than our other businesses. Okay. I went into the newly created snacks division, mid-90s, and the first year we lost $40 million. Wow. <laughs> and, and I will actually say I got the best lessons of my life because I learned you have to go to the beginning. So often we think we fix businesses, 
but we're, 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 we're looking at nuances. We're not looking at fundamentals. So Nature Valley Granola Bars uh, was losing to Quaker. We had discontinued our chewy business. We were down to very few uh, packages on the shelf. And there was a real question as to whether we could even compete. Now, that's a problem. But we were lost on that brand. I will never forget walking into a, a, a promotions ideation session. And, uh, and they had a, a, a bag promotion idea for Pocahontas, which was a new Disney movie. And a Claudia Schiffer exercise video. And Claudia Schiffer was kind of a hot model. And I remember saying, I don't think we know who our target is. <laughs> uh, this is not very consistent. Um, and so what we did, we didn't have much money, but we recruited people who actually ate Nature Valley granola bars. And there weren't a lot of them, but we didn't pre-screen on anything because we felt like we better figure this out. And we were shocked. Lots of the people were guys. They were outdoorsy. They liked having them in their pocket if they were hunting or fishing or canoeing or just having a busy day because they were substantial. It was something that they could eat and have energy for the rest of their day. Very different business. At the same time, we said, all right, let's really go deep on our product. Wow. So let's say we're going with healthy, active, outdoorsy people. Let's look at our, our product itself. You know, you got to go back to the four Ps. And uh, our product at that point had five grams of fat per bar. And that was too high. We wow. went through 10 rounds of product tests to get that down and actually ended up with a better tasting product. We were going for a, a lower fat product, but it became much lighter. I think the old product, you, you probably could have paneled a, a basement with it. It was, you know, we always used to joke about that. It was almost, you know, break your teeth hard. And, and that was the start of it. We didn't have any money, but we became the energy bar nature intended. We put signs up on ski slopes. We gave samples at races. We put bins in REI and the rest is history. You know, when I went into international many years later, one of my favorite observations was that this little struggling business had become one of our global brands. We, it never would have if we hadn't understood our target. I would say always start. If you don't understand your target, if you don't understand the role your product plays in their life, you will be lost. You will absolutely be lost. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, I worked on the Nature Valley business uh, just a couple of years ago, and yeah, it's a it's a big, thriving business. And so to think that there was a time when that wasn't always the case is fascinating. So that's, I think, one of my very favorite ones. I would fast forward then to 2005 when I was uh, promoted to vice president and uh, asked to structure a center for learning and experimentation. And, you know, I had been on the business side for all of my career. So I will say I was a bit uncomfortable. It was a challenge for me. But what I found is that I was better off just admitting what I didn't know to myself, to everybody else. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Uh, you do need to go where you're uncomfortable. And I think you, you have to be open about what you don't know. Uh, what I'm the most proud of from that time is that finance came around the organization with some seed money. And, uh, and, and we started up uh, GBS. Uh, Video Thumb Ready and I hired the first handful of people in India. And I remember we would go to meetings and, uh, and the, the, the team would say, uh, uh, that was dispersing the money, would say, you have to tell us your strategy. <laughs> well, I didn't know very much about India, but I knew they had a lot of PhDs. So I said, well, you know, honestly, I'm going to try three things. 
And if any of them work, I'm going to do more of that. Well, that wasn't a very good strategy. So I actually almost lost the money <laughs> because that wasn't considered to be a good strategy. But we hired a statistician to help our stats folks. Uh, we hired somebody to do some syndicated analysis. And we hired somebody to help with the project work. They all worked. Uh, fast forward a few years. And suddenly, uh, the same people who had questioned my lack of a strategy were coming to me saying, you know, Vivian, Consumer Insights has their GBS folks doing higher level work. What did you do? And I said, you know, it's not so much what I did. It's what I didn't do. Because if I had defined what they could do, I would have limited them. It would have been about my assumptions. And so instead, I discovered what they could do. And R&D... Uh, person I used to work with. He used to call it the strategy of stumbling forward, meaning if you wait until you have your whole path laid out, you may never even start. But if you know where you're headed, do the next thing. Do the first thing you need to do and then wait. You can always pivot, but wait. And, uh, and, and, and somehow you may stumble, but you're going to get someplace you would never have gotten. So that, that would be my next big, big, uh, big insight and big uh, lesson. Oh, I love that. You know, I, I do think it's easy, regardless of where you are in an organization, to have very prescriptive things that you want your team to be working on. And I love your idea of like, you know, give them some guidance, but allow them the flexibility to, you know, discover what works best. I think it's really true. I, I think if I had defined what they could do, they never would have done uh, all of the fabulous things that they ended up doing. So it, it's really like understand your own limitations. Just understand them and uh, and be careful about uh, the assumptions you make because you might be wrong. Gotcha. My my last one is uh, is international, and uh, I had always been a relationship person, uh, but what I found was that international it was like unless I had the relationships, I didn't have anything. Like I didn't even know what was going on. Uh, I remember I would have updates. I had a team of 35 who worked around the world and you know, I'd have updates and I'd be sitting on the phone and there'd be silence on the other end. And, you know, I'd think, I don't think I can do this. Like, this is not working. And, uh, and finally I realized, you know, maybe I need to get out and meet some people. And I started taking personal time before meetings, before international meetings and really investing in relationships. I think in many parts of the world, context is everything. And in fact, um, context, without context, it's, it's hard for a business to operate. You're not trusted, especially as an American. And so I found with my folks in India, in China, in Latin America, many parts of the world, I, they had to know me. And, uh, and then suddenly I found that they would tell me just about everything. And then I started thinking, well, honestly, I, I, I have a very good sense of what's going well, what's not going well, what the issues are, what the opportunities are. And, and it was completely based on the relationships I had with my team. And so I would say that that's really true. If, if, if when you're working, and I, I think this is true no matter what level you're at, if you're working in Consumer Insights and you know the needs of the finance team and you know the needs of the, of the R&D team and you need, know the needs of the marketing team and you know the people as individuals and they trust you, well, they're going to tell you and you're going to know and you're going to know how to focus and you're going to do wonderful things because you're part of the business. And so I think so much starts with people and international. I, I really learned that. Uh, I felt like team... You know, the, I, I think I was the proudest when the head of China 
told the head of international, you know, if I want to know anything about anything, I just ask the CI team because they know everything. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, you know, honestly, that's because we all, we knew each other. We liked each other. We, we worked well together. We traveled well together. And, and, and that, that, you know, that relationship piece is really key. Could you talk a little bit more about how you built those relationships? You mentioned just talking on the phone wasn't enough during the meeting. Did you schedule like other phone calls to get to know them? Or was it critical that you were there in person? Or how did you sort of build that personal rapport? Well, I started um, going out a day ahead of time or or, or even I'll, I will tell you the, uh, the, the consumer insight director for, for China, um, she and I spent a weekend together uh, running around uh, Beijing as tourists prior to the start of a global meeting. And I, I, I spent two days with her. Um, I really got to know her. Um, I started coming out early. If there was any meeting, I would come out earlier. I would ask the team members, hey, get me out into some homes, get me out in some, some grocery stores, will you? And it's amazing how you chum around when you're, you know, hanging around grocery stores or, you know, I, I just really, I, I craved interaction, but I will tell you it, it, it was time in person doing things together, just the way you would form a relationship with anyone else. Oh, that makes sense. Well, what a great lesson learned there. We don't make money according to, to, to what we know. We make money according to what we execute in the marketplace. And I love to see Consumer Insights people, the front end of ideas and inspiration and suggestions and experimentation. Um, It's even more important now. It becomes more important every year. There are more and more data sources. There's everything from ethnography to uh, big data analytics. There's more data points than you can imagine coming from from every website. Um, It is more and more important that consumer insights be the function that takes it all together, that synthesizes, that clears up the confusion, that resolves the discrepancies, that paints the picture. Uh, You should never be reporting on something without explaining how it fits in with everything else you know. Is it different? Does it represent a shift? Does it represent something you didn't understand in the past? You know, how, how to do this? Uh, I remember when I ran the CLE and a marketing person would come to me and say, you know, I can't believe this. I, I've never seen this before. We've never learned this before. And I'd say, gosh, you got your money's worth. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then you have to create another big picture so that it's, it's not, it's not a fact here and a fact there and a study here and a study there. It, It really needs to be a full understanding of the complexities of your business and your consumers. Oh, that makes sense. And that idea of bringing context in as I think one of the big jobs of client-side marketing insights folks, as you just mentioned. I'm curious, are there any other sort of final pieces of advice you would give to marketing research practitioners out there for how they get better at their craft as we sort of finish up our interview today? Yeah, I think what I would say, and it's, it's probably a standard I held myself to, I think it's important to think of yourself as a business person first and a consumer insight person second, because you're there to run a successful business. You're there to have wins in the marketplace. That's where you're there. And you always need to wear that business hat. And with that business hat on, I think you have more trust, you have more respect for the other functions, and you're able to play a much more influential role. So be a business person first and a consumer insight person second. 
One example of this, and again, I, I went into Pillsbury right after the acquisition, and I didn't understand any of the businesses, and I was totally confused. And I had no, there was meetings all over my calendar, and I was just completely behind and anyway. And I did a really smart thing. I went to the head of finance and I said, can you give me a rank ordering of margins per case? I want to see where we make our money. I want to see where we make our money. And you want to know what? There was no relationship between the consumer insight work that was being done and where we made our money. Wow. Most of our consumer insight work was being done on stuff that would never make any money. As a consumer insight person, be a business person first. That's where you should focus. Where can we make money? Where can we grow? And I think when you do, you'll find that finance might be your very best friend. Marketing people will look to you for direction. And, and I, I, think, uh, I think you'll be more successful. So business person first, consumer insights second. I love that. I've heard bits and pieces of that from some of the other folks we've had on the podcast talking about the importance of cross-functional relationships and looking at the big picture. But that uh, that point about, you know, make sure you're investing your research where it counts from a profit and a sales perspective, I think is like solid advice that I don't know that everyone does as well as they should. My guest today is Vivian Martin. And today she's talked about her experiences while working at General Mills and Consumer Insights. And thank you so much for your time. Oh, well, thank you so much for asking me, Stephen. And that concludes my interview with Vivian Martin. For me, that was an incredible interview where we got to hear lots of case studies and live examples of how to do research right on a business. There's a ton of things I could talk about, but the three that stand out to me are about being a business person first, talking about the fundamentals, and ultimately evolving from a, just a market research project mindset to a future-focused business mindset. In terms of being a business person first, I really enjoyed Vivian's opportunity to work with the Pillsbury brand. During that time, Vivian shared how a lot of the research that was being done was maybe on the businesses that had lots of questions, but not necessarily where they could have the most business impact. It wasn't on the businesses that maybe had the best margins or the best revenue or sales. And so she reorganized the team to focus on the things that mattered most to the business. I think it's easy for us to focus and be curious as we are as researchers, but we need to remember the business context. And I thought that was a great reminder. The second main takeaway was about the fundamentals. Wasn't that a great story that Vivian shared about Nature Valley in the 1990s? I had no idea that at one point it wasn't as strong of a business as it was today and that ultimately they didn't quite understand their core consumer and what the product was being used for. And only once they got that fundamental down, then they could decide what product improvements needed to be made. Then they could decide how they should market and advertise and talk about the product. But ultimately, without the foundational understanding of product usage and target consumers, all of that is very difficult. And the third point that I took away from this was this evolution from market research to consumer insights. So I think it's fair to say that we should be focused on impacting the business and be focused on the insights behind what we're doing. And at times, if the work we're doing seems transactional, seems like we do a quick project and hand it off and we're done and we're not connecting the dots to the broader context, then I think that's a miss. And regardless of what we call that, whether it's insights, whether it's market intelligence, we need to focus on uh, making a difference to the business and ensuring it's not just what the research says, but what we should do with that information. 
As always, you can get more information on the show notes page, which you can get to by visiting diggingforinsights.com. Until next time, I'm wishing you the best as you dig for insights that will grow your career and your business.